Our scripture reading today comes from Luke 18, 18 through 30. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad, because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus said to him, We have left all that we had to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much as this age and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of the Lord for us. Every generation of teens comes up with ways of showing how cool they are. Every generation. Now, now typically, it's through your clothing. It's through the music that you listen to your hairstyles, right? So how many of you remember the big hair of the 80s? You you remember that season. Maybe you were a teenager in the 80s and you remember the stonewashed jeans and the penny loafers, the the hair metal and the glam rock. Now for me, I was in high school in the 90s and it was Jinko jeans. Like, they they were measured... But, you know, typically jeans have like the, the inseam and the waist. Jinko jeans were measured. They had an additional measurement, which was, I don't know what you would call that, but like the circumference of the, the pant leg. <laughs> you were like, what are those, 16s? No, man, these are 20s. <laughs> uh, and, and, of course, grunge music as well. The, all the flannel, the ripped jeans, that was, that was, those were the 90s. Or for you, maybe it was when Ugg boots came into fashion. I think that was early 2000s. Or who could forget the Justin Bieber hair? And you probably even had a yellow Livestrong bracelet on your wrist, didn't you? <laughs> or more recently, maybe it's the athleisure, athleisure movement, where it's like just brightly colored uh, sweatpants and hoodies, you know, Billie Eilish, bright neon hair, <laughs> uh, interesting trends. Now, not all uh, teenage trends are so innocent as the funny hair and the loud music that you're into. In the 1960s, smoking cigarettes was just the norm. Smoking cigarettes, that, that was cool, that was trendy. The majority of people, well, in our nation, and that included high schools and, and young adults, were smoking cigarettes. Or, or in our digital age, there is a rash of dangerous online challenges. So, in fact, just this weekend, I was talking with some, some young people guarding against that. Like, like, don't do these things and go, I wonder what happens if I, these dangerous challenges that are online. You know, sometimes it just seems that part of trying to show how cool you are, which is what every generation of teens does, is showing how dangerous you are as well. And maybe we can even think of silly, foolish, dangerous things that we did when we were teenagers as well. Never mind that your grandparents probably did the same thing. That they at one time were teenagers, 
they tried to be cool, and some of you are like, my grandparents were Amish. They've always dressed like it was 1690. Okay, well, excluding them. <laughs> and your parents did the exact same thing, but never mind all that. You, no matter what age or season you're in, you are way cooler than your parents, right? You are way cooler than your parents. So today, we're talking about the second season of life, which I call the age of maturity. The age of maturity. This is the stage in life where you begin to really mature in your emotional and social life a great deal. You might be tweens, teens, even young adults. They say that 25 is the new 18 in our current culture and context. Of course, it's also a vital season in our spiritual development. So here's the wisdom of Solomon from Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach and when you'll say, I find no pleasure in them. That's the wisdom of Solomon is to remember your creator in the days of your youth. So what good news we have that the gospel informs every stage of life and every season God is faithful. And today we're going to discover how Jesus leads us to faithfulness and fruitfulness in our youth, in our youth. So I'm John. I'm thrilled that you're with us today. And you know what my prayer is, that your hearts would grow stronger, that your faith would grow deeper. So this is a four-part sermon series that I'm really excited about where we are highlighting four different seasons of life. We, we began with childhood last week. This week, we're really talking about those teenage years. But we're considering God's faithfulness through every stage, at every age. And here's what God has put on my heart to share. I'm going to give it to you right up front. Teens and young adults, they need to hear the truth of who they are. They need to have an identity that's rooted in Christ. They are a child of God. Maybe that's a message that all of us need to hear today as well. That you belong to Christ. When you put your faith in him, that is your identity. Youth are faced with difficult decisions every single day. Gone are those carefree days of childhood. You now have the pressure to perform, right? I love that our, our young people, our high schoolers, sit right up in front here at MCA because they're eager to hear the word of God and they want to study the scriptures. And in that way, they're setting an example for each and every one of us. But gone are those childhood days. Now the pressure comes. Pressure to perform in school and in sports, in friendships, in your job, learning how to drive. Now, when I was a teenager, I had to learn how to drive a stick. Yeah, we couldn't even afford a car. You've got pressure in your teenage years. You, you've got this pressure to maintain the right image, all the while trying to figure out what is the right image? And our world, especially today, our world is rapidly changing. It's changing faster than it ever has before. And I would say young people in our time are more in tune with the political and economic and global realities more so than any other previous generation because we're an interconnected global village because we're more aware of what's happening. So they also have the pressure and the weight and the responsibility of those issues that are looming in our world. 
Now, this stage of life, this season of life, from a biological standpoint, and no, this is not a biology lesson, but it's called adolescence. This, this is the season of life known as adolescence. It's a unique time. It's a very challenging time. I'm surprised I didn't get an amen. <laughs> it's a very challenging time. So when you reach this stage of life, things begin to change. Your sleep habits and patterns change. Your brain begins to develop in new and exciting and different ways. And what, what that means is when you reach adolescence, you're able to think in ways that are more complex. When you were a child, you could only see things very simply, very concretely. Now that you're in adolescence, you begin to think in more nuanced ways. You begin to think deeply about uh, abstract thoughts and ideas. You begin making life goals in your adolescence. You might have conflicts with your parents at this season of life. <laughs> your social connections at this season take precedent. The, the most important things to you are your friendships. By the way, do you know why teenage girls travel in odd numbers? Because they can't even. It's in, it's in adolescence that your organizational skills begin to develop. Your organizational skills. So, like, what that means is, as your responsibilities increase, so does your ability to handle them. And here's the reality. You make choices in adolescence that affect the rest of your life. That can be a good thing or bad thing. And I don't know how you just heard that. But you make choices in your adolescence that affect the rest of your life. You're grappling with questions like, what do I believe? What's true? Who am I really? And so that's why I want to address this critical season today. Because the vast majority of people who choose to follow Jesus, they do so in their earlier years. They do so in either childhood or in adolescence. The older you get, the less likely it is that you will respond to faith when you hear the gospel. Hmm. Now, does that mean that people in their 40s and older can't get saved? No, of course that doesn't. No, no. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, no matter what your age. You could be in your 40s or beyond. What it does mean is that the strategy of the church must include a plan for reaching tweens and teens and young adults. And, of course, children, but we talked about that last week. Our, our plan and our strategy must include making allowance for these unique seasons and how we can capitalize on them for the sake of the gospel. Now, the biggest part of that strategy... Oh, by the way, we don't develop the strategy. It comes from God and from the scriptures... The biggest part of that strategy is, oh, shocker, parents, the, the family unit. And again, I touched on that last week. If you didn't hear that sermon, go back and listen to it, please. But God has designed us to be raised in the context of a family who loves us and who cares for us. But here's the thing. Parenting changes as your children age. So parenting children is very different than parenting teenagers. And that's why we need an intergenerational church. That's why we need all ages and all stages. Because I need to be able to go to folks a little older than myself and ask for parenting advice. Rachel and I are just coming into the parenting teenagers. We now have two children. 
who are in their early teens. I need to be able to go to people and ask for help and for advice who's on the other side of parenting teenagers who can speak into my life and situation. And maybe they would say, stop worrying so much about putting boundaries on your children and start working more on bonding with your children. That's good advice for parenting teenagers. When they're smaller, it's a lot of boundaries. But the older they get, the more critical it becomes that eh, you're not so much focused on the boundaries as you are the bonding and making connections. I need people who can say, you need to spend more time in conversation with your teenage children. And a conversation shouldn't be like an interrogation. Where were you? Who were you with? Why did you do that? But conversations that are open-ended, questions that are open-ended. So let me just speak to parents briefly. Parents of children, parents of, of teenagers... You can do this. <laughs> you, you've got this. You can do this. Don't give up now. God has chosen you. God has placed you right where he wants you. You're already a decade plus in. Don't flake out now. The, the most critical times are actually right now as you come into these teenage years. So lean in. Count on God. Seek God. You might need to read a book or two on how to parent teenagers. Do that. You might need to seek someone a little older, a little wiser, someone that you respect and get some godly counsel and advice. But parenting teenagers is not easy. So finish well. And no matter what the struggle, no matter what the conflict, no matter what the challenge, here's a, a brief word of encouragement for you today. Find some time to spend with your family, with your teenager today. And maybe that's playing a game, and maybe that's having a family dinner. But find some time today to spend together. If electronics are causing issues in your family, then put limits on them. This is a huge issue for most families today. This is a, a huge complaint from parents. Well, you're the one that gave them the, the phone. So help to put some limits in place to ensure proper conversation and family time. By the way, do you know what the middle school student said to the high school student? Nothing, they texted. The number one regret from parents, and, and they're, they're on the other side of parenting teenagers. They, they've, they've gone past those teenage years and there was a survey done. Number one regret of parents, and it was this. I wish I had spent more time with my kids. I wish I had spent more time with them. So maybe that should inform the way that those of us who are coming along next would choose to parent our children and say, my kids are going to be a priority. And I'm going to love them with my time. You know what the number two regret is? It's the way I disciplined my children especially in times that I was angry. That's the number two regret from a survey of parents who have already raised their kids. They can't go back in time and do it over. But they say, if I could go back in time and do it all over, I would spend more time with my kids. Oh, and secondarily, those times where I was mad, I was upset, I was angry, I would guard my heart. I would be very cautious with the way that I disciplined, with the way that I responded to my children. 
And listen, I could do an entire six-week sermon series on parenting teenagers, <laughs> even as I'm learning and growing and experiencing it myself. I do think that it's important for us to cultivate healthy family lives. But as far as parenting advice and how-tos, that's probably not appropriate or the best choice for a Sunday morning sermon series. That's probably best done in other settings. So I'm going to leave that for now. But I do want to say that I love teenagers. I think this age, this season of adolescence is fantastic. I have listened to some extraordinary conversations and debates from teenagers on who is the greatest superhero. Because they are filled with creativity and insight Like the teenage boy who said to his dad, hey, I'm having trouble with the car. I think there is water in the carburetor. And the dad goes, that's ridiculous. Why would there be water in the carburetor? The the son says, I'm telling you there's water in the carburetor. The dad says, you don't even know what a carburetor is. So now the dad's a little nervous. He goes, okay, I'll check it out. Where's the car? The son says, in the pool. Youth are creative, and they're insightful, and they're passionate. I've seen youth who who are moved by a cause. They're deeply convicted, and they join in, and they work tirelessly toward a solution and toward help. So we need youth to be a part of the church today, right now. Not just next year, not just in 10 years, but today. We need all generations serving the Lord together in the local church. I watched a group of high schoolers, I want to share this with you, completely flip a youth ministry on its head. They completely flipped the idea of a youth ministry in a local church on its head. Instead of being a ministry to youth, they got the idea that it was going to be youth doing ministry. And and so what that looked like is they began uh, doing prayer and worship services in their community. And they began doing, once a month, a service project where they would go out beyond the four walls of the church, they would find some location, they would serve, they would bless others. They sacrificed their own money. In one one particular case of a young person, their own Christmas gifts. So they could buy Christmas gifts for local children who were in need. These were families who... uh, Without this intervention, these kids would not have had a gift at Christmas time. And these students decided they want to help. And so they raised with their own funds money. They went out to the stores. They bought the gifts to give to local kids in need. And again, in, in the one instance, it was a kid who said, I don't have a job. I don't have an allowance. I don't have any money. So he, sh- he shows up and he says, I got money to participate. Well, where did this come from? Because it was supposed to be, this was not ask mom and dad to write a check. This was, you you developed these funds. He said, well, I knew that they were going to give me a Christmas gift. And I just said, whatever amount of money you were going to spend on a Christmas gift for me, could I please have that money? Because I want to spend it on a local kid. This group of teenagers heard a presentation from IJM, and they realized that there are people in the world who are uh, who are captives in modern-day slavery and human trafficking. And IJM said that the average cost of a rescue mission is $4,500. And they said, 
well, let's raise $4,500 and give it to IJM so that we can set one person free from the evil of human trafficking. And they did it. And again, this was their own money. This was not just ask someone else to pay for it. They organized into ministry teams. They led activities at the church twice a week. And then they started inviting their friends. And they were intentional about making sure that the gospel was presented. And these friends, who were unchurched people, heard the good news of Jesus and started getting saved. They started responding in faith. And do you know what those friends did who were invited in, heard the good news, and got saved? They started inviting their friends in. I saw this with my own eyes happen in a youth ministry in a local church context. And it just blew... The, the, normal, um, the normal rule of thumb for youth ministry is about 10%. So in the life of a church, they say if 300 people, then the youth ministry is going to be 10% of it. You're going to have 30 kids. This group just grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. They, they were... of the church body. People from the community started saying, hey, I think I'm going to go to that church. Why? Well, because I hear about the youth. I hear what they're doing. But you don't have youth. No, but I've got a five-year-old. And he's going to grow up. And I want him to be a part of something like that. I saw this with my own eyes. And these students, here's what I want want to point out. These students had an identity. They, they, They were on mission together. And then they saw the fruitfulness of the gospel at work. And so let me ask you today, what's your identity? What mission are you on? I think this is especially important for our young people to grapple with this today. And as I said, maybe this is important for you to grapple with today as well, and you're not in that season of life. But can I encourage you today that if you are a follower of Jesus, that your relationship with him should be your identity. That you should be known as, your defining characteristic is a follower of Jesus. And so let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 18. This is where Haley read for us a few minutes ago. We see a young person and he's grappling with his identity. We call this guy the rich young ruler. Well, because that's what we know about him. (laughs) We, We know about his identity, those three things. That he was a young man that he was what the gospel writers call a ruler, so he had some sort of position of of power, and that he was very wealthy. And so what happens in this story, in Luke chapter 18, is this young man comes to Jesus, and he's asking about eternal life. And you go, oh, well, that's characteristic of someone in adolescence. They're beginning to think very deeply about uh, truth. They're starting to question things. He tells Jesus, he's kept all the commandments, Like, hey, I've done it all. I've followed all the rules. I've done it all right. This guy hasn't rebelled. He he hasn't run off. He hasn't left his family. He hasn't left his church. He hasn't had that big blow up where he's like, I'm out of here. I don't believe in what you believe. No, he's stayed there. He's stayed faithful. And he wants to know, what what do I have to do to be saved? So verse 22 is really where I want to key in. Luke chapter 18. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Jesus says to this dude, oh, that's great. You've done all this good stuff. Oh, you've kept all the commands. He goes, you're just one step away, brother. 
Jesus says, you're just one step away from the kingdom of God. Here's what you have to do. Oh, by the way, it's a really big step. It's walk away from all your wealth. And this guy's thinking, my wealth? Jesus, if I lose my wealth, then I lose my status. Jesus, if I lose my wealth, then I lose all of my friends. If I lose my wealth, then I don't even know how I'm going to spend my time because my time is spent managing my affairs and going to those board meetings that have to do with my wealth. My whole identity is there, and you're asking me to walk away from that. So the young man walks away all right, but it's not from his wealth. It's not from his worldly identity. He walks away from Jesus. Why did he do that? Why would he walk away? Because his identity was in his worldly estate in his clout, in his status, in his standing. And he just couldn't see how becoming a follower of a carpenter from Nazareth would help him. And so his choice reveals his immaturity. Because if we're honest, this season of life that I'm calling the age of maturity can just as easily be called the age of immaturity. And the exact same thing happens to people today. See, when your identity is not rooted in Christ, then this pitfall of greed and many others entice you. So we read in 1 Timothy that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. As we mature in Christ, as our identity is rooted in him, God leads us to be generous. And in this instant, Jesus made it very clear to him. Everything you've got, everything at your fingertips, sell it and then give it to the poor. Use it to serve and bless other people. Now, maybe God isn't calling you and I to sell everything we have and give to the poor. But what if God did call us to do that? Maybe God is calling you instead to tithe 10% of your income to the local church. And then maybe beyond that, to be generous and faithful in supporting other causes financially and materialistically. But are we willing to do that? See, that's a sign of maturity in Christ. That we're willing to be generous or, or that we're not going to be sidetracked by these snares and pitfalls that the enemy lays for us. We don't turn from God's path. We don't turn and walk away from Christ like the young man did. He was lured by a false idol. So for young people, if you're a tween, if you're a teen, if you're in those college and career years, you want to know the best way to navigate this season of life? It's to clarify your identity. It's to know who you are. Maybe even more importantly, know whose you are. So here's what I want to do with the rest of the time that we have together. Is I want to teach three ways to clarify your identity. How do we clarify our identity? How, if we're in this age of maturity, how do we root ourselves knowing who we are and whose we are? Three ways to clarify our identity. And the first is to remember what God has done for you. What God has done for you. This is for those of you who've surrendered your life to Christ. This is your salvation. 
This is embracing the good news. God has rescued you from the flames of hell. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. You belong to him. But you know, I think for many of you, your struggle is just like this rich young ruler. And you go, well, I'm not extremely wealthy like him. No, no, no. Your struggle is just like this rich young ruler. You've lived a good life. You've followed the rules. So we have a confrontation in Matthew chapter 15 between Jesus and the Pharisees. Now, for the Pharisees, what was their identity? It was, we are the rule followers. High five. Like, that's who we are. They could be across the room. Pharisee, rule follower. Air five. Like, this is who they are. They are the rule followers. And in Matthew chapter 15... Jesus confronts the Pharisees because they freak out when people are not washing their hands before eating. And you go, well, I'm kind of with the Pharisees on that. I'm, I'm all for hand sanitation. We'll put that aside. Because their practices, what, what they mandated, were rules that were made by humans. And then they latched on to those, and they taught those as if they were God's law. In other areas of the Pharisees' life, they weren't following the truth of Scripture and living up to God's standards. And yet, they're criticizing, specifically here, the, the disciples of Jesus for not following their specific little hand-washing routines. You see, it had to be done a certain way, had to be done not only before the meal, but in between courses. And here's what Jesus gets at in the confrontation with them. If you were as concerned with having clean hearts as you were clean hands, then we'd get somewhere. If you were as concerned about what's happening on the inside, the condition of the heart, as you are about the outward things, the outside things. So the challenge for us today, if, if we want to clarify our identity, and it starts with what God has done for you, what would it look like if the gospel were part of your identity and not just following rules? And not just what people see on the outside. Our identity begins with what God has done for us. The second way to clarify your identity is to be grateful for what God has done through you. Through you. There's a subtle and yet large difference there. These are ways that fruitfulness has come about through your ministry. Well, through Christ working through you and your ministry. And if you don't know it, I want you to hear it today. You need a ministry. You go, I thought that was just for clergy. I thought that was just for pastors. No, 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 no. God has given each of us a ministry. You need a ministry. You need a place to use your spiritual gifts to edify the body of Christ. Not occasionally, not sporadically, but regularly, consistently, dare I say faithfully, using your gifts to serve and bless the body of Christ that we might be built up and mature in Christ. Why are we going to do all that? Because we are committed to, we are laser focused on 
sharing the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. And we all have a part to play in that. And as I shared earlier, this does not exclude our young people. This does not exclude people who are still maturing and still growing. We need young people in the life of the church. I should at this point probably acknowledge that we have young people serving as part of the life of the church and how grateful I am for that. Jordan Miller taught the youth lesson on Wednesday night right here with our teenagers. Garrett Schaup led the activity. By the way, congrats to Garrett and the Highland Hawks for the state championship in golf this weekend. That's awesome. I was told that Emma just signed up to be a coffee maker on Sunday mornings. Oftentimes when I look in the back, I see Alex, who's running the sound for our services. I see Jonas, who's sitting at the computer. I know Libby takes a turn serving in the nursery. And there are others. So I want to say how grateful I am when I see these young people and they're serving right alongside us in ministry here at MCA. And if you're a ministry leader here, maybe consider who's a young person that you could begin to mentor and disciple and and rope in with you. That you could train them up. Replace yourself with the next generation. Not abdicating your role, but doing that tedious, difficult work of equipping and training and raising up the next generation. So we want to be a church that is intentionally investing in this rising generation. We don't want to just see them flounder on their own. We want to give helpful guidance. We want to mentor them along the way. And here's the cool thing. This is not just one-sided. This is not just, you're going to benefit, young person. No, no, no. We all benefit when young people are infused into the life of the church. Here's what Paul tells the young Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers. Set an example for the believers. In speech. In life. In love. In faith. And in purity. Now this is such a healthy Part of your identity, what God has done through you, the ministry that God has given you, the role that God allows you to play in ministering to others, in building his kingdom. Okay, the, the, there's a third part that I want to highlight this morning, third way to clarify your identity, and this is to recount what God has done in you. And, and what, what I mean by this is it, it's highlighting the life-giving power of Jesus in your own life, sharing your story. So it's not, she's a really good basketball player. Oh, and I think she goes to church too. No, it's, she uses her basketball ability to glorify God. It's following Jesus in all facets of life. Because spiritual gifts, by the way, they're not, they're not just for within the four walls of the church. God maybe gifted you and then has sent you out on mission for him in your school, in your workplace, on your sports team. So no matter where we are, if we're in our workplace, 
a social setting, at our leisure activities, in our ministry setting, we're following Jesus. We're making choices that align with his life, with his teaching. And our stories should then highlight what God has done. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. What an immense... I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you, were, you, were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You'd never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What... What do you mean you don't know? Well, because I don't know. Well, you know, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor ranger. So we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are you, are you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? The guy said, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, uh, let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. Hmm. Now, I, I love what Alistair Begg says there. He pastors a church up near the Cleveland area. It was this man's encounter with Jesus. He was the guy on the middle cross, and he said, I could come. What's your story? Because we all have a story. And are you faithful in sharing your story? And are you demonstrating, then, a life that has been radically transformed by an encounter with Jesus? Is that your identity? Jesus spoke to me. Jesus called me. Jesus saved me. Jesus has helped me. I used to be this, and now I'm that. Is that your identity? Because this is a really important part of clarifying your identity. Is what has God done in you? What is your story? Here's what Jesus prays in John 17 and verse 3. He says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is our identity. We are known by God. One other story that I want to share from Scripture this morning. When the Lord was choosing a king for Israel. And he passes over all these guys who were really strong and who were really talented, who were intelligent. You know, the people that the world looks at and goes, now that's king material. He passed over all those guys. Instead, the Lord tells the prophet Samuel to anoint the smallest, puniest 
youngest, most insignificant shepherd from the tribe of Judah. And in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, it says, The Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. David was a man after God's own heart. His life was defined by his relationship with God. And we know that in those younger years, he was a teenager. And he's out to pasture with the sheep. And he's worshiping. He's praying and he's singing and he's writing poetry and he's writing these psalms. And here's what I want to point out. He was not a shepherd who also had a love for God. He was a man who loved God, who happened to look after sheep. (laughs) That was his identity. And in Psalm 51, here's what David prays. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. If your identity is in something other than Christ, you're headed for trouble. That is a shaky foundation. Your immaturity is going to come through when life gets tough and when decisions come your way. Just like the rich young ruler. Hmm. Give up everything in order to follow Jesus? Now, he could have gained everything. But he walked away from it. Don't make the same mistake. Don't walk away from Christ. Instead, pray Psalm 51 that God would create in you a clean and pure heart. I want to offer prayer today for anyone that wants to come and receive prayer. And and maybe you're a young person and you want prayer for God's wisdom to help navigate this season of life. Maybe you're a parent. And you're asking for, oh God, help. How do I do this? Maybe you're here today, you've heard the gospel, and you want to respond by giving your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we dismiss our service this morning, when we conclude, I'm going to ask some of the members of our prayer team to come up to the front on this side over here and be available. And they come, we would love to pray for you, pray with you. Whatever it is that's weighing you down, a burden on your heart, we want to help lift that up to the Lord. We want to come right alongside you to bless you, to take those concerns to the Lord. So come. When we conclude the service, if you want to come for prayer, please do so. God wants to give each of us a new heart. He wants to give us a a new mind. Like Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So don't allow the world to define you. Don't allow your identity to be anything other than in Christ and what he has done, what he is working out, what he has accomplished. Seek first his kingdom. 
and his righteousness. And here's the promise from Christ, Matthew 6, 33. And then all these other things, they'll be given to you as well. See, that's what the rich young ruler didn't understand. Give it up for Christ, because then Christ is going to reward you in ways you could have never imagined. You think you've got wealth? No. You have nothing compared to the riches of the glory of God and kingdom living. God wants to give you a new heart and a new mind. So stop caring so much. This is directly at teenagers and young people. Stop caring so much about what other people think of you. Concern yourself with what God thinks of you. And I think for some of us here today, we need to hear what God thinks of us. We need to hear the voice of our Heavenly Father saying, You are my child. I have great things in store for you. Leave behind what the world says is good and follow me. I've redeemed you. I will uphold you with my strong and mighty right hand. So I'm praying that in this season of life for our teenagers, and really in all seasons of life, that we would know that our identity is indeed in what God has done for us. What God is doing through us and what God is doing in us. Praise God that if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new has come. So let's pray together. Thank you, good and gracious, loving Heavenly Father, for the way that you can take us like clay in the hands of a potter and mold us and make us into something beautiful, into something useful and fruitful. Thank you, Lord, that that you've placed us right where you want us. In our workplace, in our neighborhood, in our school, in our family. Right here in Fredericksburg, Ohio, you, you've planted this church on a hill. So God, would you lead us and would you work in us and through us to continue pressing on for the gospel? Because God, you are faithful. You have been faithful. You are still faithful and you will always be faithful. So thank you, God, for what you've done. We pray for people in this second season of life, this age of maturity, that, God, they would be rooted in you. That their identity would be found in nothing other than in Christ and what he's done, what he's working out in them. That they would share their story of your goodness, just like the thief on the cross. So, Lord, we ask that you would do these things for your glory and by your might. And we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen.